today. Matthew chapter 19. And as we've gone from week to week through Matthew 19, uh, no surprise to you, if you remember Brother Joey doing a wonderful job the last couple weeks telling us about the assurance that we have in Jesus Christ in and of Himself, we come back to Matthew 19, and as a reminder, we've been talking about marriage for three, three weeks prior to that. I'm going to read a small section of that so we have some context But today we're going to be in verses 13 through 15, considering, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. But the context is very important. So I'm going to read from verse 10 through, um, let's see, verse 17 for our context today. But again, 13 through 15 is our focus today. This is God's word to us. The disciple said to him, If such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. But he said to them, Not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth. And there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men. And there are eunuchs who have been made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive it, receive them. Then the children were brought to him that he might lay hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people. But Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. And behold, a man came up to him, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me what is good? There is only one who is good if you would enter life Keep the commandments. Pray with me. Father, we we ask You today that Your name would be glorified in the reading and the preaching of Your Word. I pray that You would help us to see what it means not to hinder the little children to come to You. I pray that You would fill me with Your Spirit, God, that I might not at all preach myself, um, but that You'd make me bold in Your Word, God. Humble me, but at the same time, embolden me in Your Word, God. This can only be done by You, and I, I just pray that You would make Your Word, as Isaiah 55 says, God, profitable from what you, for what You purpose it to do. And we know that it will. Please help us today, in Christ's name. Amen. So, as we look at this text, the one thing that comes to mind, and it might not be immediately apparent why it comes to mind, is the the little parable that we know, the allegory of the boy who cried wolf, right? And the story we're all familiar with, a boy who is not confronted with any immediate danger from a wolf, but it constantly is crying wolf to those who are around him. And the people respond time after time, but a time comes when a wolf actually comes against this little boy and he cries out, but because he's cried so many times, falsely, nobody pays attention. Now, the warning in that parable is that we would not cry out things that are not true so that when the time comes, people would take us seriously. Okay? That when people act opposite to their normal behavior, it should cause us to pay attention. Now, for example, if you're not tracking with me quite yet, we might think of Moses, who was called the most meek man that ever lived upon the earth. A man that took the people of Israel by God's design and nurtured them and cared for them in the wilderness. A caring, loving, godly man. 
But when he came down that mountain in Exodus chapter 32 and saw them worshiping a golden calf, Moses did something that he was not normally prone to do, and that was to show great anger. Casting the stones, the two tablets that was written, the moral law of God, away and breaking them to show that the people of God had broken their law. I hope you see that Moses, acting in a way that he normally did not, was meant to grab the people's attention all the more. Similarly, we might think of Daniel. Daniel being in Babylon from his captors, but Daniel was known as a God-fearing and law-abiding man even in that pagan kingdom. So much so that when the rulers were trying to find a way that they could accuse Daniel and get him out of power, they had to say, well, we, we have to get him to do something against the law of his God and against the law of the land in order for this to stick, right? And they forced Daniel's hand to, to pray to God because he would not break God's law in order that they might accuse him. So again, in both those scenarios, and we can see this throughout the Scripture, when we act in a way that is opposite to the normal behavior, it can grab our attention. And I would tell you that that's the case of our text here today. If you'll turn briefly with me to Mark chapter 10, this is a, a parallel in the Synoptic Gospels of this very story. We get a, a stronger look at the reaction of Jesus Christ. Notice Mark chapter 10 and verse 13 and 14. And they were bringing, and notice again, there's an imperfect tense here that's not in Matthew. They were in a continual action of bringing children to Him that He might touch them, and the disciples rebuked Him. But notice our meek, loving Savior. But when Jesus saw it, He was indignant. He was angry. The King James would say he was much displeased with them and told them this text. Jesus, there was something about these parents bringing these children to Jesus Christ and the disciples hindering them from coming that caused great anger to come from our Savior. And so that ought to catch our attention today. And so this text is not about paedo-baptism versus credo-baptism, okay? And I hope that we see that. This is something for us to pay attention to. A strong warning given to God's people because we're prone to hindering the little children and such like them. Jesus sternly rebukes His disciples for hindering children from coming to the Savior for blessing and prayer. And the purpose that I want us to see today, something that we might not tend to think of, is behind this commandment of Christ not to hinder the little children, we have to come face to face with the openness of Jesus Christ's heart towards these people. And secondly, we must aid all those who would come to Christ. That is, the opposite of hindrance is encouragement. And so today, I want us first to recognize that one of the things that is an imperative in the we read it and consider it, is that we have to consider with our thought and our minds and our emotions the openness of Christ's heart to all kinds and categories of sinners. His openness to receive any, I would propose to you, is at the, is at the core of this text. Now, before we see that, we have to consider the little children and what is designed by the Holy Spirit and Matthew here. 
Who are the little children? And it's really surprising to me. This week, I've gone, I've swerved all over in my understanding of this text, and I, I think for the good. There are three main interpretations, actually two main interpretations that have been accepted throughout church history, and one that's not a main interpretation might surprise us, that it's only talking about children. This is not something that was commonly thought of in the church at any time. Even the very early church, okay, that all practiced credo baptism, by the way, nobody in the early church thought that this text was talking about physical, literal children, okay? But the second is that, so it would be that these children are a symbol of the childlike at heart. And another popular interpretation is that it's the children and the childlike taken together. That both of these categories are what's being talked about here today. And I'm just going to reveal my hand. I believe the second interpretation is true. That this is talking about children, literal children, not to hinder them. But it's also talking about all who are symbolized by them. But first, I want us to see why would somebody say that this isn't talking about literal children at all. There's some plausible reasons to think this. First, in the context of Matthew. If you'll look back with me to chapter 18, you might be reminded that the disciples themselves were having an argument about who was greatest in the kingdom of heaven, and Christ takes a little child, places this little child in their midst, and says, unless you be converted and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Little children in that text very clearly being used as a symbol of those who have no status in this life. Nothing to offer. You have to become like them rather than puffing yourself up and thinking that you're something in the kingdom of heaven. But narrower context, that's why we've read what we read this morning. On the front and back of our text, we have the proud Pharisees who refuse God's law for themselves that they might divorce their wives with impunity. And then after it, the proud, rich, young ruler who wanted to do something that he could inherit eternal life rather than receive it, as a child would, by faith. And in between those two things, we have a proper illustration of what we should be like. Not like the Pharisees who were proud, not like this rich young ruler but childlike dispositions to come and receive the grace of God without anything to offer. That's one reason why some would say this is merely a symbol for the childlike and not children, literally, themselves. And, by the way, if we're talking about context, if we go to Mark and Luke, okay, both include this text, they retain the same context in both of those, those Gospels. But in fact, in Luke, it's a little stronger because instead of having the marriage controversy, we have the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector coming to the temple. Okay, So it stands in this context. We could see why some would think this is merely only talking about a symbol of those who are childlike in their spirituality. But I want us to look at the specific language of Matthew as well. Notice verse 14. Jesus, correcting his disciples, says, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. And we're not going to notice this on our regular reading probably. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Okay? This is, you're going to be excited about this, a demonstrative pronoun. Okay? And he doesn't say, to these belong the kingdom of heaven. 
but literally, to such as these belong the kingdom of heaven. Matthew could have, and all, again, Mark and Luke and Matthew all use the same language. They could have said, to these belong the kingdom of heaven, but alas, they do not say this. Okay? And to add to that, Mark and Luke add a phrase that Matthew does not. They say, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child shall not enter it. Okay? So, it's very clear, and this is why many interpreters, almost all interpreters throughout church history, have seen this at least as children and the childlike, because Christ is so clear that they are a symbol of what even adults should aspire to. Again, not in their own ethical ways of acting, we should not be like children that way, but in their status, knowing that they have nothing, can offer nothing that would be beneficial to God's kingdom, okay? Now, I want, to, I want to propose to us today the second option, that Jesus refers to little children, literal children, literal, little children literally, sorry, and those symbolized by those little children, okay? And we see that in our text, first by the actions of Jesus Christ, okay? And I hope you're tracking with me that if these were just a symbol and did not represent little children, I would propose to you it makes no sense at all for Jesus to be indignant at his disciples for not allowing these little children to come to him. Okay, His action is being angry, much displeased again in the King James Version. And I would propose it makes little to no sense if these actual children are not included. And similarly, we see the action afterward. Christ does not use these children merely as a... An illustration because he really takes them up in his arms and really prays for these little children at the end of this. And it would be ridiculous, I think, for us to think of sheep and doves, okay? That Jesus gets really mad at a shepherd for mistreating his sheep because the sheep represent his children and he prays for the little sheep. I wouldn't say, well, Jesus wouldn't pray for a mere symbol, right? He prays for the little children because he cares for them. Okay, And second, again, the particular wording, that demonstrative pronoun, to such as these, this, and Thomas Withrow pointed this out to me, the Greek to such always refers to the object themselves and the class that they represent, right? Now, to illustrate this for you, turn with me to Acts 22. This is only one use of this, but in every case, it is the same. Never is to such as these, this pronoun used for the mere symbol or the category, but also for the one who represents that category. And I understand why that's confusing. I hope that this will clear it up. Acts 22, verse 22. This same demonstrative pronoun is used in verse 22 of Acts 22. This is Paul. He's before his his Jewish brethren after the flesh. He's being accused by them. And he says in verse 21 that God told him, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Up to this word, that is Gentiles. Okay, They listened to him. And they raised their voices and said, Away with such, that's our word, Away with such a fellow from the earth. They do not mean away from everybody who talks like Paul, but not Paul himself. They mean away with Paul from the earth and everybody else who would talk like this. Okay? 
That's what's meant in our text today. Bringing this together, that Jesus refers to literal children. In the same way as Acts 22.22, when Jesus says, for such belongs the kingdom of heaven, He means to these little children and all who are like them belong the kingdom of heaven. And to bring this together, Jesus' rebuke is for hindering the lowest to come to Christ for His blessing. Now, we might be confused. To these belong the kingdom of heaven. Okay? This, isn't mean, this does not mean that to every little child, they're a possessor of the kingdom of heaven. To say that another way, this isn't talking about election, but rather, this is talking about offer of the gospel. Okay? The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is offered to every category of people. Okay? Including little children. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Again, theirs is not the kingdom by election, but by offer to all. Come to Jesus Christ and salvation will be yours. And so, I want us to see, first and foremost, in this text, and I can't answer all our questions about infants and what they understand and what they don't and all that, but we should see in this text something very marvelous about our Savior. That these children who had nothing to offer Him could do nothing pleasing to Him of their flesh. They were sinners, unregenerate. The heart of Christ is open to receive any who would come to Him. That His openness to receive any is at the core of this text and the disciples were acting contrary to the heart of Jesus Christ. His openness to receive any is not just the core of the text though. It's the core of the Gospel. It's the core of the Gospel. One of the chief Gospel comforts, brothers and sisters, is that there is no requirement put on any to come to Christ. They need to do nothing before they come to Him, but merely come and receive forgiveness and grace and peace. And we see this from the lips of our Savior Himself. He excludes no category of people. John 7.37 You might recall this is the, the Feast of Tabernacles, one of the three times a year when all the people of Israel would come into Jerusalem. And on the last day of that feast, listen what Jesus says. Jesus stands up and cries out, if anyone thirsts, anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Now, Jesus is not saying, now you have to have a, enough thirst to come to me and drink. I only want the really, really, really thirsty to come to me, and if you're not that thirsty, then don't come. Rather, what he's saying is, if you desire what I have, the blessings that I'm offering freely by God, come. Similarly, Matthew eleven twenty-eight, 28, maybe the strongest call of Christ generally to all people, says this, come to me, again, all, you can quote it with me, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is a chief beauty of the gospel that it's open to all and everybody that would come. And Jesus Christ preached this way. If you want to come to me, come. There's no requirement. Nothing. He wants you to do prior to repenting and believing in Him. But Christ also gave particular calls, didn't He? To particular categories and groups of people. And I would tell you today that was to emphasize the free offer of the gospel. 
something that stood out to me, you know, on the Statue of Liberty, the plaque, right? I'm not going to quote to you the whole thing, but it, it says, give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. Now, does the Statue of Liberty mean that if you're not tired, you can't come, right? If you're not yearning to breathe free, if you're not poor, you can't come? No, but it gives specific categories of people to show that anybody can come and experience the freedom that America has to offer. Now, likewise, and in a much better way than that, obviously, Jesus often showed His heart to specific groups of people to emphasize that all could come. And this is predominantly the case with sinners, isn't it? Now, we all fit in that category, we know. But notice in Matthew chapter 9, if you want to turn there, I'm going to read just a verse to us. Matthew chapter 9, verses 12 through 13. I'm going to read 10 through 13. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and His disciples. And when the Pharisees saw, they said to His disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. I want to emphasize to you that Jesus Christ's heart is open to all, and that is emphasized to us because sinners are called to come to him. You don't have to do anything to make yourself right before him before you come, because he came for sinners. In fact, He only came for sinners. Oh, but Christ even shows His heart, His openness to receive all. I think most predominantly in His heart towards the hypocrite and even those who are not elect and who would never come to Him. Those who killed Him and never repented of killing Him. Christ shows His heart as open to receive them if they would repent. Now, we can be in this same case Our hard-heartedness. We might examine our lives and say, I've been hard-hearted towards the Gospel. I've been living in secret, unrepentant sin. And I won't go to my Savior because I don't think that He'd receive me any longer. How could somebody that has heard the Gospel and received so much light and continued in this much sin, is Christ's heart really open to receive me any longer? We can, we can say those things in our heart, but the Bible does not speak in this way. I want to show you two texts. First, Matthew 23. I want us to see Christ's heart to those who are unrepentant, that He is open for them to come. Verse 37. We know this text, don't we? Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city who kills the prophets and would kill the prophet and stones those who were sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. Notice that. These people who are going to come together and kill the Son of God, he says, I'm like a, I'm like a mother hen who is always willing to gather her chickens under her wings, but you were not willing. Not me. I was willing. You were the one who was not willing. And then, my favorite, John chapter 5. And again, as we turn there, 
I just want to emphasize that we're looking at the heart of Jesus Christ and how His open call to the Gospel is emphasized by those who would never come to Him. John chapter 5. I want you to first notice verse 18. This is the people who He's talking to. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill Him. Because not only was He breaking the Sabbath, but He was even calling God His own Father. Making Himself equal with God. And I just want us to skip to verse 33, where Jesus tells us why He's speaking to them. You sent to John, and He has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony I receive is from man, but notice this, but I say these things so that you may be saved. Okay? Why was Jesus making this long speech about the testimony of God about His faithfulness? So that those who are listening to Him that would kill Him, they would never repent. That they would be saved. The open offer of the Gospel is emphasized very clearly in, in Jesus' general call and also His specific calls to, repent, to sinners and unrepentant people. And the sum of all of this is that Christ is open to receive any, and this is the core of the Gospel, that all are welcome to come to Him. Even the hardest sayings of the Scripture where He rebukes the Pharisees and the scribes for their hard-heartedness. And this, as we'll see next week, which I'm so excited about, this rich young ruler where He tells him what he could do to inherit eternal life. Keep the law of God perfectly. That's what you can do to keep eternal life. Even that, Jesus Christ, and in Luke it says He looked at Him and loved Him. Okay? Even then, Jesus Christ is trying to draw this man and it's, He's showing him that the works of the law, Jesus is breaking His legs, showing you can't walk by the law, you can't get to Me by the law, so that they would come to Him. Even these hardest sayings are designed to save sinners. And how beautiful and how wonderful this is. That even us here today that are saved that know Christ, in the midst of our sins, we can always go to Christ because He always receives those who come to Him. The proper response that we should have in knowing the openness of Christ's heart to receive every category of people is that we would portray the Gospel in that same way. And this is what Revelation 22 and verse 17 says. You can turn there if you want. I'm going to read it quick. At the end of this text, we have the proper response to all of this. The Spirit and the Bride, that is the church, what do they say? Come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. But, this is the key of our text. The disciples were not communicating this. Were they? Their hindrance of these little children coming was doing the opposite of communicating the openness of Christ to receive all and every type of sinner. In fact, His openness to receive any is denied by, our, by the disciples in this text. This is the indignation and the rebuke that we have from Jesus Christ. This is why. Now, we can appreciate maybe the disciples' thought process here. Why were they hindering these little children from coming? It's not because that they were backslidden into Baptist thought, right? And thought that the children can't receive the sign of the covenant. These are children that had already received the sign of the covenant. 
And there's no water in our text, okay? But their thought process is this. Probably. Our master is being thronged by the crowds everywhere that he goes, okay? It's recorded for us that often there was time not even for them to eat because people were so surrounding them, wanting to be ministered, healing, and the gospel. He was tempted by his enemies almost constantly. We just got done in Matthew chapter 19 noticing how the Pharisees were coming to tempt him. Okay? Christ is busy. But more than that, he has told his disciples secretly and privately that he's going to Jerusalem so that he will suffer and die at the hands of wicked men. His face is set like a flint to go to Jerusalem to die for his people. And it seems like the disciples' thought process here is, our, our master is so busy, we can probably get rid of the things that are unimportant for him to do. It was very common for children to be brought into the temple and for the elders to pray over children. But we got enough going on right now. Let's say that this isn't necessary. Hinder these little children from coming to Christ so that he can deal with more important things. You have a paraplegic you want to bring to me? Oh, sure, that seems important. We'll let him through. We have a... A high Pharisee coming to debate with our Savior? Well, that seems important for the ministry. Let's let him do that. But the little children, that doesn't seem very important. It's natural, I believe, for them to prioritize what was going on. But in doing that, again, they totally mischaracterized our Savior's heart towards these little children. He, they not only mischaracterized His heart, but they hindered from coming to Him, those whom He loved in His heart. Now, you might ask, why would they do such a thing? And I would say, I believe that the disciples hindered these children from coming because they had a deficient understanding of the heart of Christ. What do I mean by that? What I mean is this. It's not because they were defying Jesus' known will that they're rebuked. Okay? They're not, it's not as if they knew that Jesus wanted these children to come, and then they said, well, we don't care, we're not going to let them come. Okay? Rather, they had false ideas about Jesus' will for these children to come. And Jesus corrects them. Jesus corrects them. And we ought to see that all kinds of people that would come to him are allowed to come to him, as we've already said, and that heaven will be populated with people from every tribe, nation, and tongue, with every social class, every race, and age of people will be with our Savior in heaven, and our Savior's heart is aligned with heaven's goal in that, right? He's not like Jonah who would go and preach to the Ninevites something that was against Jonah's own will, right? I'll I'll tell them to to come and repent, but I really don't want them to. Jesus wants everybody that will be in heaven, every class of people, to be able to come to him. Christ's heart is aligned with heaven's end state. And he is never too busy to minister to people of any category. He's not too busy for these little children to come to him. Haven't we seen that before with this feeding of the 5,000 and the 7,000? That the disciples are quick to say, send them away because we don't have enough, but Christ's heart in compassion looks at the crowds and says, no, we need to feed them. The same thing is true here. Christ's heart, he's never too busy to receive us to come to him. 
But these ministers, these ministers, they were called to reorient their ministry to reflect the heart of Jesus Christ. And brothers and sisters, this is why I think it is the paramount goal of each and every one of us here today for the good of our church and for the good of the lost that are around us, that you reorient your heart to know that Jesus Christ is open to receive any kind of sinner that would come to it. That you would believe in your heart that Christ is open to receive me and to receive anyone. Why do I say that? Because if your heart is closed and it hinders a specific category of people from coming, you're going to represent that to the world. If you believe that you have to do something in your own personal life or else God isn't going to receive you, I have to, I have to weep enough, I have to say enough prayers in order to come to God, you're going to represent that to the watching world and you're going to unknowingly perhaps put hindrances on people that they're not doing enough to come to Christ. It is your goal, should be your goal, to reorient your heart to believe the pure gospel of Jesus Christ. That He gives freely. That He gives freely. Now, how our belief about God hinders the gospel, we we might even see this in the history of the Jewish people. In modern times, okay? That there are some in the Reformed camp they would see that God's heart was closed to receiving anybody that was Jewish to come to God. Okay? And what did that cause? It caused hatred towards the Jewish people. Right? Same thing can be true of us, brothers sisters. We need to be careful. Seeing the free offer of the gospel exposes the horror of hindering anybody from coming. If that's Christ's heart, we must represent it truly and faithfully. Okay? This text should cause us to rejoice in the heart of Christ to all sinners, and then to respond by removing all hindrances to others coming to Him. Okay? So, we need to see the free offer of the Gospel and believe it with everything that we have, and then we must go into the command itself. We must not hinder. Say that another way. We must aid others coming to Christ. And I just have two categories for that as we think about closing today. First in our church. How do we prevent hindering people from coming to Jesus Christ in our church? And this is probably, to my mind, the most immediate and obvious application of this text. These disciples, ministers of the Gospel who are going out with Christ to preach the Gospel, they're the ones who are hindering little children from coming to Jesus Christ. The leaders of the church are the ones who are barring children from experiencing the prayer and blessing of Christ. And I just have two ways that we can hinder and two ways that we can help. Ways that we hinder people from coming to Jesus Christ, little children and all like them, is by preaching a gospel that is not a gospel at all, but is based on our own works. Now, where I get that is Matthew 23. Matthew 23 The strongest of warnings that we have given to the scribes and Pharisees. Notice what's said about them. They hindered those who would come to God. Verse 13 through 15. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. 
For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. They preached a salvation of works to these people. That if you do enough, if you submit enough to God's law, then you can be taken into His kingdom. But Jesus says, you're really shutting the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You're hindering people to come to Me by your works righteousness gospel. Which is not a gospel, but another one. And so, we must aid those to come to Christ, again, by preaching a full and open gospel without fear of them somehow taking a gospel of free righteousness given in Jesus Christ through faith alone and living a life of lasciviousness and sin. Because I tell you, church, that will not happen. If we believe that Christ freely saves me, it will bear fruit. We cannot hinder as a church by ever giving ourselves over to any variety of works righteousness. Secondly, we can hinder by the sin of partiality. And I'm going to be strong on this. And if I'm, I'm wrong, I will repent. And I'm glad to hear you. We know in James chapter 1, I'm sorry, James chapter 2, we see the sin of partiality being clearly warned against. Notice what James says in verses 1 through 3. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in. And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, well, you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. Right? The church could, in the early centuries, be guilty of hindering those who would come to Christ by treating them as second-class citizens or those not worthy to really hear the Gospel in a very beneficial way, right? They wanted to attract the rich and the powerful, the glorious of this world, and give the Gospel to them, okay? They wanted the church to be populated with people like these, right? Now, that might be far from our thinking, but I want to tell you, it, it's rather shocking to me if you read the history of the church, especially I was reading the, or hearing of the Methodist church, and maybe other churches, I'm not sure, that the selling of pews was a common thing, right? That you could, as a family, you could buy the front pew of the church and it could be your pew and nobody else is allowed to sit in it, right? And obviously, by implication, the sin of partiality is absolutely being done here. That only the wealthy have pews. They would have nice, ornate pews while the other people would either have to stand or sit in, in shabby things, okay? And that might be abhorrent for us to think about into our modern sensibilities. But brothers and sisters, I just want to ask, do we do the same thing with our children? What do I mean by that? I tell you, there's an attitude in many churches, and I'm not trying to pat our own back or anything like that, that children should not be allowed to be in the service. Now, I am not at all speaking of churches that provide a nursery or any of those kind of things. But some churches would stop you when you come in the door and almost literally and aggressively take your child from you because children are not allowed in the sanctuary. Their noises aren't allowed. Their smells aren't allowed. Okay, None of it is allowed. And I, I would just... If the prime application of this text is to ministers hindering people from coming to Christ, I just want to ask... Is this what we're doing? 
I'm here to boldly say, I think this practice is absolutely and totally contrary to this text. I think it is a literal hindering of the children, the little children, to come and hear Christ. We cannot, I speak for myself and Brother Joey, we cannot and will not ever hinder children from hearing the Word of God, seeing the visual sermons of baptism and the Lord's Supper, singing with the congregation. Okay? Now, if, if you need to take the children out, I want to be clear, you're welcome to do that. We love for you to do that. It's fine. But we will never hinder you positively from doing that. And we must not ever do that. How do we hinder and help in our families? As parents, we must not hinder our children from coming to Christ. And we, we know that. Who would, who would want to hinder their children from coming to Jesus Christ? And one of the ways that we do that, just like the church, we're not going to hinder children from coming into the congregation. As parents, as fathers primarily, we're called to be with God's people as often as we can unless we're providentially hindered. To be with God's people. Because again, God promises that He's with His people, particularly when we're gathered together hearing the Word preached, taking the sacrament, being together as a body. We ought not to hinder that on purpose. Fathers, we particularly are called to account on this in the Bible. Okay? We're not to hinder one another from doing this. Do not hinder them from being purposefully absent from where God promises to work the most. Bring your children. And I know the difficulty and the extreme difficulty, especially in our church, because I know that we have children in the congregation and we don't have a staffed room where you can hand your child up. I know the difficulty of it, but I would tell you that there's blessing even in the, in the hard days to your children that they will remember being at church even if they have caused it to be almost impossible for you to hear it. We are to not hinder them by refusing to teach our children. By putting that off on somebody else. We're called many times in Scripture to teach our children. And that is to aid them to come to Christ in the kingdom of heaven. God uses means to do that. We're to aid our children by teaching them. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4. God's heart, again as you're turning there, is open to receiving any who would come to them. And we are called as a church to reflect that by aiding those who would come to Christ to come. Deuteronomy chapter 4, we know this text, verses 9 and 10. We're told, only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen unless they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Now I want us to stop there. Okay, He talks to the parents and says, you, parents, take care to remember the Gospel and not let it depart from your heart. And then he continues, make them known to your children and your children's children. How on the day that you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, the Lord said to me, gather the people to me that I may let them hear my word so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth and they may teach their children also. We have to be teaching our children. But I would add to that, brothers and sisters, it's so easy for me, and I'm so guilty of this, when we teach our children the Word of God, I teach them the law. Okay? This isn't pleasing to mommy and daddy. You're being unthankful. You're being whiny. Okay? That's good and that's appropriate, but we must not forsake the Gospel. 
Just as we would be hindering the people of God if we just preach the law from this pulpit as a means to enter heaven, be careful that you do not portray that same thing to your children when you correct them. But give them the Gospel of Jesus Christ. That daddy's heart and mommy's heart is open to receive you. You've done wrong. We're correcting you for it. But the Gospel is open and is forgiven mommy and daddy and we forgive you as well. Be careful to have the gospel front and center in your homes that you may not hinder your children from coming. And we ought to do it also with an attitude of patience and love as we see Jesus Christ in His compassionate heart for sinners. He did not have a dour look on His face, I promise you, when these little children came to Him. That He was really annoyed that they were coming to Him. When we correct our children, when we teach them, I'm guilty, guilty of this, brothers and sisters. I confess it to you today. But it ought not to be so. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4. I'm going to read two texts, especially to the fathers of the room. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Notice how two things are said there. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction, but do not provoke them to anger. Do not bring them up in discipline in such a way where you're provoking them to anger. The Word of God says this to fathers because we're prone to it, fathers. And we have to be careful. Colossians 3.21 says nearly the same thing. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. We're to woo our children to the Gospel. Now we correct them and sometimes that's with physical discipline that's, that's hard, but we have to be careful that our children aren't becoming discouraged to come to the Gospel, to come to Christ, or to be obedient because of our discipline of them. We have a natural inclination to be hard with our children, but we must be careful not to hinder the Gospel by discouraging them or causing anger. Remember that the Gospel is open to all sinners. And remember that God has dealt graciously with you, brothers and sisters, and therefore we ought to deal graciously with each other in the church and with our families. Okay? Now, At the end of this section, we have a a strong application given to us that we must not hinder. We must do it in certain ways. But I tell you, we are going to fail in these ways. We're going to fail. We're going to, me and Joey, I, I, I hate it, but we are going to say things that are wrong and it's going to be skewed in the way of works righteousness at times. And we're going to do everything we can not to do that. But we must repent of that. Children, fathers... Fathers, rather. Wives. We must teach our children in such a way that we repent to our children when we do things wrong, when we hinder them. We must repent to our children. Because we know that Christ receives us in the midst of all of our failing. And that Jesus Christ never hindered a man. Never hindered a woman. Never hindered any child that wanted to come to Him and put their faith in Him. And therefore, we not either. And we have His righteousness attributed to our account. That we are not looked at by God as people who hinder others that come to the Gospel, but rather we have the perfect righteousness of our Savior Jesus Christ. And all of our hindrances that we've given to others in our lives were placed on the shoulders of our Savior on the cross. And He died for us in it. Now, the open offer of the Gospel I don't think is anywhere seen more clearly than in the Lord's table. Because we know that Jesus, on the night that He was betrayed, He took bread. And when He broke it, He said, take, eat. Right? That's open, isn't it? 
Take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. As we take this today, brothers and sisters, we should be reminded that Christ puts no hindrance in anybody's way from coming to Him. If you're hindered, it's from your own heart. But Christ is open, so please come to Him today. Brother.